welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Good morning and welcome to On the Record. My guest this week is David Perry, Executive Editor of Furniture Today and our resident betting expert, David, welcome. Are we on the record? We are on the record. Everything nice. you say. All right. Sounds good. Hey, good being with you. Yeah. So uh, this is, I guess, the second most famous betting podcast. Uh, a shout out to our friends Mark Quinn and uh, Mark Kinsley at Dos Marcos. This is Uno Dave and Uno Bill. Well, you know, they say theirs is the best in the galaxy. So what can we be? The guest in the, uh, the best in the... Uh, We're the best in the room. The best in the room. <laughs> We're the best in North Carolina. There we go. So, uh, Dave, the betting business is just really very, very disrupted and uh, very dynamic right now. We recently put out um, some reports looking at some of the changes that are taking place. Uh, among those changes is a dramatic increase over the last couple of years in the boxed bed uh, D2C segment. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, we every two years we update our betting distribution pie. This is a retail report. And the latest report, which uh, came out in uh, early October, had some stunning news. The online channel has gone from 6% in 2014 to 12% in 2016 to 21% in 2018. So it uh, more than tripled in uh, four years. This is just phenomenal growth. Uh, and I have to tell you that 21% share is much bigger than a number of traditional betting players believe. Could they be in denial? Well, you also have had a, a couple of traditional betting players to say to you that they believe that it's decelerating and we are approaching what they believe is the peak. Yes, yes. One of the leading players said there's a, quote, significant deceleration. So among the, uh, the box bed players, you know, there's some truth in that because the growth rate two years ago was 103%. One year ago, it was 66%. Uh, last year, among the top 15 betting retailers, it was 41%. But I would posit to you, 41 is a huge number. Well, the other thing to look at is as the base grows, the ability to achieve significant or similar percentage increases becomes more difficult, right? A 21% growth on a million dollars is a whole lot different than 21% growth on a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars. Yes, the law of big numbers. The, the numbers get more and more challenging. So you're right. Those are uh, tremendous uh, gains. It was over a billion dollars in, um, in one year. Uh, 2.178 billion to 3.065 billion uh, in just one year, 2017 to 2018. So that's a billion dollars that went from traditional mattress players and traditional retail channels to other players. So it's, it seems fairly uh, undeniable at this point that the box beds and the DDC channel is, uh, is here to stay and is going to be a significant player in this business going forward. You know, it is. And where did the growth come from, you might ask? Well, it came from uh, betting specialty stores who lost six percentage points of market share in two years. Uh, furniture stores lost three percentage points. That's nine percentage points. They lost, and guess what? The online channel gained nine percentage points. So it came uh, almost squarely out of the hide of the 
two most significant uh, bedding channels of distribution, uh, sleep shops and furniture stores. And I have to tell you, if that percentage growth uh, rate continues, uh, in a, just a couple of years, online is going to be the number one channel. I'm not quite ready to go there, but let me turn the tables and put you on the spot. Uh, what do you think? Could it be possible that the online channel would actually be bigger than sleep shops? Um, that's, that's hard to say, honestly. And the other thing is, you know, some of the online players have started to open their own stores and to move their business into brick and mortar. Um, so I think, do I think the online channel is going to continue to be more important? Absolutely. Do I think a generation from now, um, even more business will be tra transacted online? Absolutely. But do I think that stores are going to go away and that we're going to become a society, a storeless society? Absolutely not. I think particularly in betting, there's, there is still very much a, you know, want to lay down and try it. Um, but I would suggest that it would behoove traditional betting players and traditional betting retailers to look at the betting shopping experience and the mattress shopping experience. And I think one of the things that these D2C folks have done effectively in their marketing is identify consumers' pain points. Identify the things that consumers are uncomfortable with in that shopping process, uncomfortable with about buying a mattress, and they have taken dead aim and zeroed in on those pain points and tried to tell consumers we can, do, we can make that less painful, more comfortable, easier, more convenient. Um, and I, I've written columns on this in the furniture business. I think the distribution of goods and services forever moves in the direction of speed and convenience. So anybody who can make that process simpler, faster, and easier is always going to be in an advantage. So the, I think the, the real question for uh, furniture stores and mattress specialty stores is um, how do you adapt to, to remain relevant uh, as the consumer's preference for uh, shopping changes? What are you going to do in your store to make it worthwhile to come in there? I, you know, I think a glass wall, a uh, glass-walled building filled with uh, rectangular, you know, white rectangles is probably not the ideal environment anymore um, to sell consumers' beds. When, you know, when you think about when that mattress specialty channel emerged, warehouse clubs, right, that, that kind of simplistic, uh, I shouldn't use simplistic, that makes, that, that almost sounds, uh, I don't think that's the right word, but that, that kind of spare, bare-bones merchandising um, was very was very uh, avant-garde at the time. And I don't think that that's the, the way that people want to shop for mattresses anymore. I mean, you think about a mattress, um, that's a kind of an intimate purchase. You want to try it, you want to lay down. I'm not sure that you want to do that in a, in a fishbowl. Um, I'm not sure you want to do that surrounded by 50 other box beds. I, I think there is perhaps some other ways. And I think we're starting to see some, some mattress specialty players experiment um, with the ambiance of their shopping environment. So uh, I, I think it, it Again, I think it would behoove everyone to take a look at how do you present that category. No, totally agree. And I think one of the interesting things is the online guys would not have the success they're having if there wasn't some resonance uh, of the message they're delivering, which is uh, mattress shopping sucks. Actually, can we say that word on this? We just did. We just did. Okay, yikes. But uh, they, they, uh, they're running against the, the sleep shop experience, and there's some truth to the fact that it's not as pleasant as it could be. People don't like to lie down in front of other people. Uh, Casper has these neat little sleep pods you can try out. I think that is very cool. Some retailers have even had little sleep rooms you can try. That hasn't really caught on for whatever reason, but I totally agree with you. It's all about the experience. 
Many consumers want to try a mattress before they buy. The shame of it is we're making it not an ideal experience to actually do that in a store. We've, we've got to do better at that. Well, the other thing I think you're going to continue to see, and we're already starting to see, is I think um, furniture store retailers are actually becoming better at creating a seamless experience. Um, if you look at one of the fastest growing players, and I, I think you probably have this in our, our producer results, um, Ashley Furniture is one of the fastest growing uh, mattress sellers, and they have taken the strategy of, to use uh, a term, weaponizing the store, meaning use, utilizing the advantages of brick and mortar to deliver a superior sleep experience um, and, and a more convenient, and again, this goes back to my point, convenience wins. They're delivering a more convenient experience, and the, the, they're seeing tremendous growth. Yeah, Ashley was actually, the, last year was the fastest growing top 20 bedding producer. They were up 50.3% to $236 million. They went from number eight to number seven. Uh, Ashley is just slaying it in the marketplace. And to, uh, to plant a seed for future discussion, they've made a big commitment to Vietnam. We could talk also a little bit about, you know, the very rapidly shifting international trade scene. China used to be the largest source country by far. Uh, China now has a whopping 1% market share in August. How does that compare to uh, a year or two ago? Uh, uh, I think in December they had like a 92% share. So from 92% to 1% in less than a year. Yes, it is absolutely shocking. Two things, Trump tariffs and anti-dumping duties. Uh, China if effectively, I mean the analysts say China effectively is, is gone. Uh, as a mattress source country. Now, interestingly, Vietnam is now number one. Vietnam had a 3% share earlier this year. Now it is 31. But Indonesia has jumped up onto the scene. A major player has opened two fat mattress factories in Indonesia. It is now the number two source country. So one of the things, this raises an interesting issue about the ability to change sourcing. And you and I were talking about this yesterday, as he, even as it relates to domestic manufacture, um, the historic idea that you needed to locate factories close to where you were going to deliver the product, box beds changes that paradigm, doesn't it? It totally does. I mean, the, the old model, I kind of call it the bakery model. Uh, bakeries can, can uh, ship fresh goods within, you know, whatever. Uh, 100 miles of the bakery. Uh, and mattress factories are somewhat similar. So you've got networks uh, of mattress factories around the country. When you're shipping to local retailers and meeting their needs for fast delivery. Uh, with boxed beds, you could ship the entire country from one or two factories. And in fact, the, the box bed suppliers are doing just that. So uh, this is a big challenge to the big broad networks of distribution and uh, the interesting thing, though, is I'm not sure that I see the major brands really embracing boxed beds. I think they have, uh, they're just in their mindset, I don't think they believe that they want to switch everything to boxed beds. Well, th this is an, an interesting thing because this has come up at our last two bedding conferences a year ago, May, and again in May. And <coughs> some of the this is an interesting thing has come up at, a, at both of our betting conferences the last two years um, where even some of the major producers have said they expect boxed beds, um, regardless of what channel they go through, to, to become the majority of, of all beds. And I've heard some people say as much as 90 percent. 
Do you think that that's feasible? You know, if you look at the math, there are two brands, two companies, SSB and TSI, that have 60% of the market. So if you're going to get over half with boxed beds, you're going to have to have one of those guys is going to have to go uh, to a predominantly boxed bed model. And honestly, I just don't see it right now. Um, Beautyrest just came out with a revamped website. It's e-commerce enabled, but guess how many beds they're selling? Two. That's it. So I, that's not a full-throated embrace of, uh, of um, a sell. Oh, and by the way, those beds are for white glove delivery. So that's even different from the boxed bed phenomena. So if you look at Beautyrest as, a, uh, as an example, they seem to, uh, they're not embracing the boxed bed model very aggressively. Well, it, it seems that they and some other players are looking to differentiate by moving traditional beds up market and trying to move the consumer up with them and then position box beds as a you know much more price-driven alternative. Are we going to see that kind of a bifurcation of the, the market, do you think? Well, there is a strong bifurcation now, and that's that's been one of the problems. Uh, uh, Amazon has really taken box bed retails uh, down low. Uh, a couple hundred dollars for a queen boxed bed. Mike Magnuson, who's uh, I think one of the smartest guys in the whole online space, Mike says Amazon basically is uh, training consumers that mattresses are commodities, are low price commodities. Are, are all commodities low price by definition? That's a good question. I, maybe they are, but anyway, Mike is saying uh, you know the, the the what Amazon is perpetuating is the three hundred dollar disposable mattress. I actually think that is an incredibly bad development for the mattress industry because this is one of my you know, uh, little key truisms in my view. We need to be selling better sleep, not cheaper sleep. Amazon sell, they have some better beds, but $300 is not what we should all be sleeping on. And I think they're playing to the whole idea of millennials who are looking for a quick mattress they, uh, someone said to me, you know, and uh, millennials change their cell phone every year. Well, with that kind of culture, uh, you just don't put much thought that a mattress is going to be around very long. So if they have kind of a disposable, change it up all the time culture, uh, the mattress, a, a cheap mattress fits right into that. But what's dangerous is, will that be the habit that they are building for their lifetime? I tend to think, I hope not, because Hey, I was a millennial once before that term was even invented. Uh, you know, they say millennials can sleep on anything, the floor, sofa, whatever. Hey, you know, you and I are boomers. And guess what? We want a nice mattress. We need a nice mattress. I cannot sleep on the floor anymore. No, no those days are long gone. But I think that that commoditization goes hand in hand with the shift to Internet retail. It's very difficult to differentiate a $3,000 bed from a $300 bed on with three bullet points and a picture on a website. You know, it is. And one of the things that Mike Magnuson says is that it's easy for these lower price products to get uh, high ratings. And he said it's just very, very tough to compete with a five-star $300, five-star rated $300 mattress. I mean, like, yikes, how do you compete with that? And I think the whole idea that the ratings are becoming a key driver of business. Now, this leads to something I'd love to get your thoughts on. I, I saw this store a couple of uh, months ago, and it just could be the wave of the future of mattresses. I was in New York City. 
and I saw an Amazon bookstore. And guess what? Every book in the store had a review underneath the book. They had a cool section, Kindle books that uh, users uh, finished in less than three days. Who is not going to look at that? They had our most searched for items. They had our most popular books. Every book had a review. There's a, and the, the reviews are compelling. Now, interestingly, every book was uh, flat so you could see the cover of the book. If you go to Barnes & Noble, maybe, what is it, every tenth book is like that. So they have far fewer books in this Amazon bookstore, but they're presented beautifully. Can you imagine a mattress store where every mattress had a review? I think this could be a total game changer. You have it right there on the mattress. Well, that's the power of peer pressure, right? Yes, and the interesting question is, you know, who are these reviewers? Dave P. says he loves Beauty Arrest Perry. Well, does Dave, who, who is Dave P.? Of course, it's me in this fictional story, but uh, you know, how, here's a review, and we look at that, and we just think, well, that boy, that that's it. I've got to have that, and that's one person's view. They also have the number of uh, you know the number of uh, uh, stars that reviews get. But as I went through that bookstore, I just it it struck me we've got to do a way better job in the mattress industry of syncing reviews up with with the mattresses. Well, that goes back to, again, uh, uniting that digital and online experience, right? I mean, what Amazon has done effectively is taken features from their website, things that they recognize, move merchandise, and who has more data on consumers? I mean, other than perhaps Google, um, who knows what you're going to do before you do it. they have, they have tremendous amounts of information on what motivates and, and what moves consumers to make a purchase, to look at a purchase. And so the ability to take that um, and utilize that in a retail setting is very, very powerful. And I think that that's something that you know, mattress and furniture stores need to look at. Traditional brick and mortar retailers do not have and have not historically developed the depth of knowledge and data on their consumers. Um, at our next conference, we, uh, we had a speaker, Marshall Gibbs from Target Data, talk about the amount of data that is available and how you can utilize that. And we actually um, are going to have a panel at our upcoming leadership conference. Um, shameless plug. Shameless, but, but in, well-intentioned because I, I, you know, I really believe that understanding hey, your consumer. it's consum- all good. Exactly. Understanding your consumer and how what motivates them and how to utilize that motivation to give them the best experience, to give them the best product and make sure that they are happy with what they buy is critical. So I, um, I really think that in order to be successful going forward, traditional furniture stores, traditional mattress stores are going to have to develop a deeper understanding of their consumer. They're going to have to ut- utilize their data and gather more data and utilize it more effectively to give the consumer what they want. And I think that's what's reflected in an Amazon store is an intense understanding, a deep understanding of consumer behavior. Yeah, uh, totally agree, totally agree. And this is another point that Mike Magnuson makes, and that is that the the data that the online retailers get is what is so critical. It's, they're not, it's not just the mattress sale, it's the data they're getting about consumers. And the old model of a producer sells to retailer, retailer sells to consumer. The retailer knows what the consumers are saying. The manufacturer learns that secondhand from the retailer. 
totally different ball game today. You've, you've got to have that direct, not a direct connection, excuse me, direct connection with the consumer. And uh, Amazon obviously has it. Now, one other interesting thing, while that Amazon bookstore is really cool, guess what? How many bookstores has Amazon put out of business? So, I mean, ironic, isn't it? I, it is ironic. Now, they're doing a nice job, but it's not nearly the depth. Uh, it is fun, not as many books in there. And, uh, but still, I, I was, uh, I had a great time going through that bookstore. Didn't buy anything, but I loved it. Well, again, I think it, it speaks to Amazon's understanding of the consumer. Not everybody's going to buy online. Some people will be motivated by a store. But I think also you have to recognize that Amazon is using that as a lab, right? So, yes. you know, they're testing merchandising concepts. Um, they're testing how to utilize their online information in an, in an offline setting. Um, and Amazon has, has both the uh, resources and the, the culture to constantly experiment. I, I would encourage furniture retailers and uh, bedding retailers to be as experimental. Now, you know, I would too, and I would love to see some uh, uh, bedding sleep shop try that, maybe have a review store somewhere. You could have a section in the right in the store, have a little review corner where the reviews on every mattress are displayed. And you could take consumers, you go there first and say, uh, you're a side sleeper. This is the top mattress recommended by uh, uh, for side sleepers. I just think that would be pretty compelling. And as opposed to an RSA, and as we all know, you're only as good or bad as the RSA that greets you. And I do think RSAs have become more professional over the years. However, uh, there's something about big data that is maybe more respected than an RSA who says, oh yeah, side sleeper, yeah, try this. You say, hey, uh, this of our thousands of consumers, this is the top side sleeper recommended mattress. Uh, that seems compelling. Well, you know, there's an opportunity there to bring that into your, your marketing, right? Even before the consumer enters the store, there's a, uh, I mean, there's a story to tell in whatever advertising form you choose, yeah. right? Here are our top five, you know, top five rated mattresses for side sleepers. These, these were our top reviewed models for Absolutely. back sleepers. There, there's... If you are willing to experiment, and I think the key is breaking down the traditional view, which is this is how we do it. I think that's a um, that's a dangerous phrase for anybody, whether it's in the furniture business, the mattress business, anybody who's in any business today in our society. The pace of change is occurring so rapidly when you look at how quickly technology is changing, how quickly demographics and consumer behavior is changing. I think anyone who is using the phrase, this is how we've always done it. Um, is, you know, dancing with their own extinction. Well, you know, sleep shops had steadily gained share for uh, 20 years. Uh, now they've steadily lost share. Sleep shops had a 47% uh, share in 2014, 45, 2016, now it's 39. Uh, four years of declines for sleep shops. Furniture stores were 34% of the market in 2014, 2018, 27, seven percentage point loss in four years. These were the channels that really drove the business. And so uh, everyone knows the world is changing, but again, there's a fascinating debate in the industry. Exactly what does the future look like? You know, I know this is one of the fun things. No one knows. I know it's going to be more online oriented. Is online going to dominate? Is online going to uh, uh, you know, shame sleep shops. I don't think so. 
On the other hand, sleep shops have had four straight years of declines. Uh, online has had four straight years of massive growth. So, you know, one of the interesting things, probably in the next few years, we'll get an idea. Uh, this raises another question. Is there a, a, a saturation point for online? Um, and let's talk about shoes, which I don't, I need to buy more shoes, I guess. Uh, what, what kind of market share, do you have any idea what kind of market share Zappos has? I do not. I don't know enough about shoes, but I have to think they make it so easy. I don't know what the online share of shoes. Now, one difference is it's not easy to ship a mat as easy to ship a mattress as a pair of shoes. But I've got a uh, my son actually buys me shoes without even knowing if I'm going to like them, and then he says, "What do you think?" And if I say I like them, I keep them. If not, send them back to Zappos. That is a crazy that is a crazy model. Now, again, mattresses don't quite fit that model. Uh, and consumers do like to lie down on a mattress. But as you said, the online guys are relieving pain points. And there is still a belief that shopping for a mattress in a brick and mortar store is kind of a hassle. It's kind of a grudge purchase. And I think there's some truth to that. And it's, you know, how do you change something that is so omnipresent? I mean, there's so many sleep shops and furniture stores. Collectively, how do, how do they clean up their act? Uh, it, it's, it's up to every individual entrepreneur to do that. And I, I, in some ways, I, I'm depressed that I don't see more progress. I mean, Well, you... I mean, I, I think it's good to look at both sides of the number, right? When we talk about 21% is being done online, that still means that 80% roughly yep. is yep. being done in stores. And I think the, I, I don't think it's a case of one goes away or the other goes away. I think what you're going to see is a, is a blending so that it becomes invisible to the consumer who they're buying from or where they're buying. I think the key for furniture and bedding folks um, is to get in front of the consumer where they are, which is on their phones. Um, so that's you know that's changing your marketing, making sure that you are where the consumer eyeballs are, and then it's identifying the messages that resonate with consumers, and that's you know understanding that that psychology even better. Uh, and then when you get them in the store, uh, you need to make sure that you convert at a very high rate and give them a reason to come into the store. So, yeah. I, I mean, I am not in any way pessimistic about the future. Um, one of the things, you know, when I was in college, history was actually my major. Certainly not. Uh, uh, I did not study furniture in college. I admit to that. But uh, how many of, of us did? Yeah. But one of the things that, that you learn is um, things never move as quickly or as absolutely as we posit as we look at the future. And so um, I think there's still lots of opportunity for furniture stores. I think there's lots of opportunity for specialty sleep shops. Um, and I think we could probably name um, you know, a handful of success stories very easily of companies that, that continue to do really well in the space. And the other question that I think you raised early when we first started talking is as millennials age, right? At a certain age, we all could sleep on anything. My um, my, after my wife and I got married, our first bed was a pullout, right? It was a, a sofa sleeper. Um, and it was one of those classic ones with the, uh, the uncomfortable springs and, and all of that stuff. Was and, there a bar you felt? <laughs> yes, there was. Uh, but, but again, in my youth, that was just fine. Now, today, that's, 
that is completely inconceivable to me that I would put myself through that. We, um, we do invest in a good mattress and that matters. So I think as you see millennials age, as you see them um, start to, as their incomes rise, their expectations will rise. And so um, the, I think the better that uh, manufacturers can do in um, creating a, a sense uh, that there's a reason to step up. And, and I think this is something that the betting industry is exceptionally good at is selling the technology of sleep, selling the science of sleep, selling the value of sleep. And I know this is something I'll give another shout out to uh, Dos Marcos. They talk about a lot is talking about the sleep experience and selling better sleep. And so I think the, to the extent that the industry can focus on those things and create an aspiration among younger consumers. Yeah, I'm sleeping on a $300 Amazon mattress today, but boy, when I grow up, I'm going to get me one of those really nice, right? I'm going to get a, a really nice beauty rest or a really nice temper Sealy or, uh, you know, whoever's mattress that is. Right. Um, if you can create that sense of aspiration, now you have a big generation to go target to get them to step up into better products. You know, one other interesting point on this, Bill, and that is that the online guys, uh, uh, some of the major online guys are expanding their distribution to brick and mortar aggressively. Uh, Nectar's looking to have more than 2,000 doors by the end of the year. So this is another kind of wave of the future is online brands playing a key role in brick and mortar stores. And I have to tell you, when I think about what do I need to be trying to figure out, that's like perhaps the most important thing. What is that omni-channel going to look like? How do the online brands play in the brick-and-mortar stores? Nectar talks about driving traffic to brick-and-mortar stores. And, you know, one of my pet peeves is that uh, everyone says, well, traffic is down. Well, actually, is your online traffic down? People act like their their absolute their brick and mortar traffic is everything. That's important, but guess what? Brick and mortar traffic is down at some furniture markets. But what do people say? I'm seeing the people I need to see. I'm seeing the people with buying power. Or they're saying the people who are here are the people who are ready to buy. In some ways, what might happen sometimes at a market is what might be happening out in the marketplace. And that is the shoppers who actually go in brick and mortar stores are more serious shoppers. It may not be all bad that we, if we've lost some of the lookers, but the other, the, the B-backs. But the other a key part of this is, what about the online traffic? And I've, I've heard it said that, you know, your website is also your store's front door. And I just think that too many brick and mortar retailers are not thinking about that online front door. Uh, well, you know, you talk about Nectar and there's Purple and uh, all of these other guys. What, what we're seeing also, and, and I don't think we, we talk about, uh, is that this is a new brand creation model. If you think about the historic way of creating a brand, um, the Internet is opening up and social media is opening up an entirely new path to brand creation. And so when, when you see Nectar or Purple or, or some of these other guys talk about opening doors, well, for them, if they're, if they're relatively saturated and their growth rate goes down in the channel they started in, of course, they're going to look to other avenues to, and obviously brick and mortar is one of those avenues, right? Because they want to maintain that growth. They want to increase those touch points. And, you know, their goal is to continue expanding their brand and getting in front of more consumers and capturing more share. And so the more that they can do that, and that's why I, when I talk about this, I, I see a melding, a blending, um, but the brand dynamic changed, right? If you were to look at who, who are going to be the brands a decade from now, um, 
I think you will see that some of these D2C guys that we see popping up are going to be in, among those big names. Maybe not the top two or three, but certainly in that in that conversation. Well, I believe the two most searched for online brands now are Casper and Purple. I believe they've passed uh, the legacy brands. And so this is another fascinating development. Uh, Sealy has been around over 100 years as a brand. Casper has been around five years. Casper is one of the most searched for brands out of almost nowhere. So yes, brands, this is one of the fascinating things. Betting is very brand driven. These new brands have massive, massive online followings. And, uh, you know, it is just, it is a, uh, it is a whole new ball game. Now there's one other key caveat we ought to discuss for a few minutes, and that is, are they making money? And interestingly, uh, there is only one uh, publicly held uh, online brand, Purple, uh, which has some profitability. Uh, there's lots of discussion about how unprofitable many of the online brands are. Some of the legacy guys say to me, you know, hey, those guys have an unfair advantage. They don't have to make money. Uh, there are 175 online brands. That's way too many. There's going to be huge consolidation. But it hasn't happened yet. There's only been the slightest bit of consolidation. Uh, you have to think capitalism eventually prevails. The need to make money eventually prevails. But uh, how long did Amazon go without making money? I guess that's an it's over 20 years. Okay. And what? where do you stand on Wayfair? Do you see Wayfair swinging over to positive territory at some point? I think if Wayfair chose to reallocate dollars, they could probably be profitable tomorrow. I think... Wayfair, like Amazon, is following a customer acquisition model. I've maintained for a number of years that to judge Amazon as a retailer is to miss the point. Um, Amazon is going to become, I mean, Amazon already is the largest product search engine um, right. in, in the United States. And so what they're doing is they are bringing the consumer to their doors and eventually you will pay access to Amazon to get to the consumer. So basically, they're going to own the highway and you're going to pay a fee to get on. Mm. You know, it's a toll. And uh, I think Wayfair is, is in some ways doing a similar thing. They want to become, in the consumer's mind, synonymous with home furnishing. So when you think of making a purchase for your home, the first thing you do is say, Wayfair, you've got just what I need. Uh, Sounds like a tagline. Doesn't it, though? Uh, but, it, but again, it's, it's about mind share as much as it is market share. So first you gain mind share, then you gain market share, and then you turn that into dollars. Um, and as long as venture capitalists, PE firms, and Wall Street are willing to support that model, I don't see anything changing anytime soon. Well, they are willing to support it. As you know, there have been a lot of investments in Casper. And uh, Casper is talking about an IPO, by the way. Uh, they say it could come later this year, or the reports say it could come later this year or next year. Uh, valuation, $1.1 billion. That's a, that's a pretty big number. That's a, that's a big chunk of change. Well, on that note, I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap up. Things to watch for for next year. Yes, I have to say it's a dynamic category. It's always good uh, discussing it. I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, it's always good to uh, bounce uh, you know, ideas off one another. So uh, always good being with you. And Good luck on, on the record. There you go. It's, it, it's always fun to talk about the betting category. Um, I have said this before. I think that uh, in some ways the betting business is the canary in the coal mine for the furniture industry. And so a lot of the things that you see happen in betting 
Um, I think if people look, in some ways, they are harbingers of the future for furniture. So it pays um, to follow, to, to pay attention, and to learn those lessons. But remember, doesn't the canary every now and then in bad times uh, die because of, uh, isn't that what happens to the canary? If there is a gas leak, we... Let, let's just hope that it's a nice, clean tunnel and everybody comes out the other side. There. You know, let's hope that too. All right, great, great being with you, Bill. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us on On the Record. Please join us next week.